0: As many of you are putting yourself or kids back into school, we are going to go back to our past and share with you one of our favorite episodes, episode one, featuring Elizabeth McGarry. I hope you enjoy it. I couldn't
1: believe it. It was like one of those kind of hair on the back of your neck, standing up moments. And we had just really hit it off throughout that whole day. And she just looked at me and she's like, you know, I really could use some help around here if you're internship in Spain didn't work out, maybe you would want to stay here. (laughs) I was just like, what?
0: That's Elizabeth McGarry, and this is The Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Cara Duffy, and this is The Powerful Ladies Podcast, where I invite my favorite humans, the awesome, the up to something, and the extraordinary to come and share their story. These are people that inspire me and remind me that everything is possible. I hope that you will be left entertained, inspired, and moved to take action towards living your most powerful life. Elizabeth McGarry is the creative director for York Athletics. Her career has been built in the high fashion and sportswear world, where she's been a designer and creative for brands such as Veronique Branquillo, Janssen Sports, Nike, Reebok, New Balance, Supra, and many more. She was featured as a panelist on the first ever Her by Bodega, co-hosted by Nike this past December. A night of hearing the perspectives of women in streetwear. She launched her own creative agency, Megarian Sons, when she became pregnant with her second son, and it's been the go to agency for reinventing your brand and taking it to the next level ever since. York Athletics has been a client of Megarian Sons since its inception. Elizabeth decided at the end of last year to at least temporarily close up shop at Megarian Sons and join her husband, who's the CEO of York, and work there full time. The idea being that with the two of them 100% focusing on York, they can better balance life and being game changers in the footwear world. I have no doubts about that knowing the two of them. In this episode, she shares about her journey from suburban Oregon to high fashion in Europe to the queen of sportswear design. She also shares about her brave decision to become a mother in her early 20s, what it's like to close her first company to become a partner with her husband, the importance of raising two boys in a girl power world and what it's like to now be a mentor in the industry she calls home. All that's coming up shortly. First, the Powerful Ladies podcast is brought to you by Boldly Fine. Boldly Fine is a small but mighty design and development agency based in Los Angeles, specializing in website design, brand development, e-commerce, and bringing big ideas from awesome people to life. For a 20% Squarespace discount or a free design consultation, visit boldlyfine.com. Holy Fine is who is the creative minds behind the Powerful Ladies website redesign, and I cannot be happier with choosing them to help us transform Powerful Ladies from the website that I designed on myself to the beautiful, awesome website that we have today. I cannot recommend them enough. I wasn't expecting video. Okay, perfect. We can go, no video. (laughs) You look lovely.
1: I like looking at your face. I'm like (laughs) kind of freaking out at my own.
0: (laughs) Okay, ready? We will turn off the cameras. One, two, three. (laughs) So I met you when we were both working at Reebok. And then I ended up working with your husband, Mark, for a ton of years at Puma. But I would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience.
1: Yeah. Um, So, hi, everyone. Kara, I'm so proud of you and excited that this has evolved into being what where you're taking it next because we've been what in touch over with through powerful ladies for the last several years um, but yeah I'm, I'm a creative director and a mother and a wife and a collaborator living in Boston but a West Coast girl at heart and um, yeah, I've just been working my way through the sportswear industry for the last, oh my God, like (laughs) 20 years, I guess now. Um, Started off in fashion, had absolutely no interest ever working for a sportswear brand, having grown up about a mile from Nike campus. It just wasn't fashion or um, even design to me. And lo and behold, I ended up there in the early 2000s and really appreciated that experience and it just kind of like set me off on a on a new new track in my career um which has led me to boston so bouncing around at all the different sportswear brands as an apparel designer and that um evolved into consulting with startup brands and then now i'm the creative director
0: of of a brand with my husband yeah and it's I'm thank you so much for acknowledging me to start this cuz like you and Mark are among the most inspiring people and then power couple that I've had the uh, pleasure to know and Aww. not just inspiring but like you guys are cool like you're fun to hang out with <laughs> you're funny <laughs> like uh, like it's always been I was so excited when I was at Supra that I could bring um you and your consulting firm on board to do apparel design for us cuz I know how much fun it is just to work with you guys, yeah. and that was one of my favorite, you know, corporate experiences I've I've had. Um, and I think that there's just some people that you're on the same wavelength about things. Like I really, I didn't have to say all the words for, yeah. for you for you guys to get it.
1: Yeah, but you were also really trusting, which is like the best. Yeah, you were amazing to work with. Super organized, super clear about what you wanted, and then
0: really trusting of us to do what what we do awesome thank you well i would love to go back from the beginning and talk about what it was like for you growing up in portland um yeah i mean
1: i grew up people have a very clear um idea of what portland is probably portlandia and (laughs) um, you know there's a lot of interesting you know just food and art and culture and design appreciation and everything going on there. I grew up more of an Oregon girl, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. it's really different when you get outside of the Portland city limits. Um, it's pretty rural. My family were, you know, working class. Um, my dad's side of the family were all loggers and, um, military people and, um, kind of growing up with that. But my dad was, he's just like a really creative spirit. He was always kind of in PR and marketing. Um, and my mom, she, she worked in the film industry, actually, when she was um, really young in Seattle, independent film industry, as a distributor, she was a dancer. And a singer both my parents are performers so I don't know I just grew up in this crazy house like very eclectic house in the Mm -hmm. middle of five children um and I I don't know I feel like I grew up it was like the Partridge family in my house (laughs) everyone was like singing um played an instrument and I just didn't have that gene like I was I would kind of do it on my own behind closed walls, like be definitely a behind the scenes kind of person. Some private bedroom but, dance parties. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so besides having kind of like my own secret dreams of being on Star Search as a dancer, <laughs> something like that, um, I, from a pretty young age, got really into um, fashion. Like maybe it just was through magazines at the grocery store newsstand or something, you know, I was just really drawn to it. Um, my dad gave me his 35 millimeter Pentax camera when I was 11. I want Amazing! To say. And I just started, you know, making my friends dress up, doing photo shoots, doing hair and makeup. Um, and I think that that was kind of the segue into, you know, just being curious about this world and this industry and. Mm-hmm. Uh, was really obsessed with models, and you know, I was. This was in the '80s and '90s, so it was just like the era of the supermodel and, yeah, and TV House of Style and you know, like all those kind of shows. I feel like it was becoming something that people um, wanted to know more about, and you could kind of get those insider views of things. So mm-hmm. having that as a as a personal interest and passion, as well as um, my dad was just really good about keeping me in sports and exposing me to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was into gymnastics and ballet and after a lot of injuries, my dad was like, why don't we try? You know, softball? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, I ended up playing basketball and that really clicked for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, growing up through elementary school, middle school. So that was I was born and raised until I was 12 in Southern Oregon. It's very, um, it's almost like high desert kind of, uh, you know, climate and pretty small town vibes. We ended up moving to, uh, the Portland area when I was in middle school and then, um, you know, just really kept
0: that interest going through basketball and, Mm -hmm. and through fashion. Um, I think we've had very, like, part of the reason we're probably able to flow together so well now is, like, having similar backgrounds growing up. I mean, I feel like my time was equally split between getting obsessed with, like, what people were wearing and why and, like, loving things that were alternative viewpoints of that, like, Sassy Magazine was, like, the best thing that had ever happened when I was a kid. (laughs) And then equally, like, running to every sport that was possible to fill up my schedule. Yeah, And I think like growing up in that time, it was
1: very clicky and, you know, you kind of had like your, your different crews and I somehow, I don't know, maybe it was also just being the middle Mm -hmm. of the middle child of five, you kind of figure out how to carve out your own path. And, um, I just, I didn't feel too restricted by that, but yeah, I was definitely dressing like a crazy person in seventh grade trying to pull off runway looks that I would see in, you know, Vogue magazine or something
0: and amazing, um,
1: but like pulling my dad's and I was a small, I was just like a late bloomer. I was a really small, like scrum, <laughs> I trying to pull off like menswear looks that I saw on, I don't know the Armani runway or something was, was like a- actually legit me. um Oversized, you know, collared shirts and palazzo pants, and people just thought I was nuts, but I loved it. I didn't
0: care. I can, I can hundred percent visualize (laughs) you putting that outfit together, (laughs) Mm -hmm. borrowing from the my brother's closets, and yeah. Oh yeah, I think there's something you know really magical too about the middle school years between finding your own identity for the first time and like mixing it all up like if i think about what i wore the first day of school on like sixth grade versus the last (laughs) like night and day like i there's a my mother so many people along the way right oh yeah and like just if it was like such a growth period of like the first day of school outfit my mother helped plan and then like within like the next day i burned that outfit and never wore it again it it made it like 24 hours before i was like what am i doing so you grow up in um in oregon you're doing all this experimenting with, um, fashion and your style, you're into sports. Um, you, uh, went to finish high school in the same area too, outside of Portland.
1: Yep. So we lived in, um, in a neighborhood a mile down the road from Nike's campus. And, um, I think towards the end of high school is when I really started to learn more about the different jobs that you could have in the fashion industry and and actually at the up until my junior year I either wanted to be a child psychologist, a photojournalist, or a fashion designer. And I remember my dad I was not the greatest student. I'll say that. I was kind of like if I was into the subject, I would get great grades and if I didn't find the subject important, to me, I would do terribly and almost failed. So it was like an A or F student. Mm-hmm. And I think my dad, knowing that, that about me, was like, maybe you shouldn't go into a career where you need to stay in school for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, looking back at it, it could have been just like, I don't know if I can help you with tuition along with the five other children or four other children. But um, He at least yeah. spun it
0: to be personal.
1: It was really personal, but he really did say both my parents were really encouraging about, um, going into a career that I would enjoy and that it would feel like you're not going to work every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they said, you know, if you want to help children someday, you can, you can always do that, but, you know, do the thing that's going to be fun and fulfilling Um, so I started looking into design schools. I went to, um, and again, just, I hated school so much. I just could not wait to get out of high school. And Mm -hmm. I think that I just assumed college would kind of be the same. Like if you don't find your way in high school, college is just going to be more of the same. So I looked at programs that I could just get in and out. Um, the art Institute in Seattle had an associate's degree in fashion design. So I was like, Oh, amazing. Two years. Um, I can do that. <laughs> and I ended up doing it in a year and a half cause I just started early in the summer, went through the next summer, um, and doubled up on classes and everything. I just, I couldn't wait to get out of there, um, and start working. So I got super lucky, um, with, it's just through some family friends. I was, uh, I had an opportunity to go work in Europe when I graduated from school. And I feel like that just set me off on like a whole new
0: track. Um, I, mean, I think like there's so many, like how amazing for your parents to encourage you to really follow something that you are passionate about and that would make you happy. Yeah. And then They're how ahead of their time in that way.
1: I'll, I'll be honest. Um, they they're like that with with all five of us kids really just trusting and gave gave us kind of the time and space and um, they they weren't the parents to really push like traditional career paths um, mm-hmm. yeah so I mean my one of my younger brothers went to film school at USC and another brother has <laughs> taken his time um, but you know sort of found his groove in like political science but he's a drummer and he you know, fights, firefight. Uh, he's a firefighter. Um, do you have all brothers? I have three brothers and the oldest is my sister.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Then, uh, so where, when you finished school and you landed in Europe, where, where did you end up? Um,
1: so it was kind of a crazy story. We had some family friends in Spain who, um, had invited me to come stay with them they said you can come live with us we have a friend who they had a friend who ran a menswear um company in spain that did like suiting and things like that and it was all designed and manufactured and everything um about an hour outside of madrid where they lived and um so they hooked me up with this internship they said don't worry about it you Just get here, Uh, we'll take care of all the details. (laughs) So, um, a week after my graduation, which I graduated early in um, December, so I don't know, first week of January or something, my mom and I flew to Europe and we kind of did like the whole train hopping thing um, through Italy just to spend some time and Mm -hmm. see the site together for a couple weeks. And when we landed in Spain, Um, Our friends, Jose and Mary Bell, they picked us up and um, they just looked terrified. (laughs) They said that they had just gotten news that their friend's company filed for bankruptcy and was closing their doors. And I was just devastated. Oh, no. As I loved the idea of being in Europe and traveling around and seeing all these beautiful Cities and I had, you know, packed for three months worth of being there and working. And um, they said, you know, don't worry about it. We'll we'll figure something out. You can just stay with us and learn the language. And we'll we'll go travel around um, and make sure you see Spain and stuff. But a few weeks into it, I just I was getting really itchy and bored. Um, they didn't live in a big city, or you know, it was like. I was feeling a little
0: isolated, a little, said, uh, yeah. little
1: homesick, um, but it was all, it all was just sort of meant to be. Um, my dad ended up coming out. Actually, I called, I also kind of just had like, they were great people and I loved the woman, Bell, but, um, you know, he had we had a little difference of opinion on how. To communicate with one another. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the, the man that I was living with was uh he also grew up in a big family but six brothers, just very male dominated kind of machismo mentality. And he crossed the line with me a couple of times and just made me feel uncomfortable. And I um I called my parents one night and I said, you guys need to call back tomorrow and tell them that I have a job offer back home and I need to come home. <laughs> like, okay, okay. Calm down. So my dad, um, my dad flew out and we continued to do some traveling together. And, um, he, he actually got us hooked up on this trip, um, to Israel mm-hmm. and Palestine as a part amazing. Of it. Yeah, it was really amazing. He went and he heard he heard this man speak in Portland um, who was really promoting just um, peace and reconciliation in the Middle East between um, Palestinians and, and Israelis. And he, as part of his mission and his nonprofit organization, he organizes these trips every you know handful of years, people from all over the world congregate in, um, in Jerusalem and for a week they go to all the different towns and villages and talk with people from kind of both sides of the of the conflict and really just in the effort to like raise awareness and um and understanding right so he wanted to go on that trip and i thought that sounded amazing so i i said like let me do that too and then then we'll go back home together um but in the middle of all of this travel, I met his, um, this family in Belgium near Antwerp who my dad, my dad was a foreign exchange student when he was in high school and he mm-hmm. lived with them and he just kept in touch over the years. And it was just like this really incredible day where the, you know, basically his brothers, um, said they were going to take my dad out and show them the old sites and grab a beer or whatever. And they said, you're going to hang out with our sister Gerarda. She, she makes dresses and things. We think you guys will will get along. And no I way. really had this picture in my head, like a maybe an alterations shop in the middle of some little village or something. <laughs> right. Right. She took me under her wing that day. You know, we went shopping in Antwerp. She took me to all these amazing You know, designer boutiques and things I'd only seen in magazines, and um, really, she was just like this coolest woman. You know, she was my dad's age, but she just had amazing style, kind of this avant-garde, like witchy, (laughs) like architectural. just, Just so sophisticated and so chic, and um, we really got along. And she took me shopping all day, and then at the end of the day, she took me to her studio which was a converted farmhouse of course it was yeah and you know I'm, I'm still I was 20 years old so I wasn't that exposed I think to like how just freaking cool things can be in the world um yeah and yeah we walked into her shop she turns on the lights and it was just like floor to ceiling bolts of fabric all the machines you could ever dream of huge cutting tables, a wall just full of sketches. And what she did was basically um, she operated a small team of sample makers and for one of my favorite designers, Veronique Brancino. You know, here's this designer who I had on my inspiration boards in college who really influenced my um, style. And here's the woman who like makes all of her things for her um with her sketches on the wall and I just I couldn't believe it it was like one of those kind of hair on the back of your neck standing up moments and we had just really hit it off throughout that whole day and she just looked at me and she's like you know I really could use some help around here if your internship in Spain didn't work out maybe you would want to stay here (laughs) I was just like what so um so I did I ended up staying with her for six months I lived with her I went to work with her every day I mean this is amazing this is the coolest story I've ever heard I got to meet and work very closely with Veronique in in her studio and um she took me to Paris Fashion Week and I was there for castings with the models and fittings and dressing people backstage it was just like crazy awesome experience
0: well, and, and what and what I want all the, you know, listeners to get is that we've only gotten you to like 21.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it definitely changed, I think, the trajectory for me in a way. Um, I And just to put a timestamp on this, uh, I actually was working in Veronique's studio a week or maybe it was like a week or two, just right before fashion week was coming up, just mad scrambling late nights and whatever. And um, she came into the cutting room that I was in and she said, something very strange has just happened. You should come come see on the news in my office. And um, it was nine eleven, and a plane had flown into the World Trade Center and and no one knew what was going on yet. And it was just like this very... Very strange, very surreal day. Um, I kind of continued working that day, not really understanding. I don't think anyone really knew yet what was going on. Um, but it was when I left at the end of the day and I was walking back to the train station. I stopped. A pub had their TVs on and I just like caught the news on through the window. And I was just standing on the sidewalk watching, you know, the buildings and flames. And What was it People jumping and you know, oh, I was yeah. like, Whoa, this is okay. This is like something else. And um yeah, I I went to the train and I had missed my train. So I had an hour to wait, and there was an internet cafe across the street, and I went in there and it was just packed. Um I kind of settled in and I checked my email and I had an email from my parents saying. You know, there's a travel warning out for Americans. Don't tell anyone that you're American. Just keep to yourself. Um, and then there are these girls. Uh, these American girls were spread out. They were obviously traveling together in this really busy kind of big open room of computers. And they were being really obnoxious American travelers and like yelling at each <laughs> other from across the room like, oh my God, <laughs> our train's been canceled or, you know, our flight's been canceled. Like what's going on? And I finally got one of their attention. I said, Hey, so I don't know if you've seen the news yet, but there's something really serious. They think it's a terrorist attack. They're telling Americans to just kind of like keep a low profile if they're traveling abroad. And um, I got talking to them and they actually were, they went to school in Oregon as well. They're from Oregon and we had friends in common and it was just really bizarre. <laughs> um, but it was good, I guess, just to connect and talk, talk with someone. Um, cause it was kind of like a long ride back to the house. And I think, uh, the woman, you know, Gerardo, who I worked with was, um, asleep by the time I got home. I just hadn't really talked to anyone about what was going on, you know, until
0: the for next sure. Day. And and, mm-hmm. and to be an American abroad when such a big cultural thing is happening, and especially mm-hmm. from your perspective, like you're living this dream life that you didn't even think was probably possible to have it be like this magical and all this kismet stuff happening, and
1: mm-hmm. then to
0: have that be a note in that story. Mm -hmm. it's, it must've been such a weird mix of feelings and emotions and like a, I don't know, did you feel disconnected from the U S at that time? Like, did, how did it land for you being abroad in, in that time and place? Um, it, it was very surreal. And I think
1: because I'd had such a intense, um, few months leading up to that, like having been in, uh, Israel and Palestine, just Um, months before that, Mm -hmm. I, I also had a very broadened understanding of kind of like what the perception of the U S was in the world at the time, you know, George W Bush was president and even just traveling around, I got just accosted by people like, how could you Americans vote for George at the time? like, well, I didn't vote for him, but, um, you know, you, you find yourself making, uh, excuses or apologizing for the perception of Americans, even if that's not how you associate yourself or, or, or represent yourself abroad. Um, but yeah, I think having had that experience and then just sort of seeing like, okay, well, you know, there are other places in the world that the U S has a very heavy hand in their daily conflict. And um, this is the first time that we're experiencing it on our soil.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I, I just felt like uh, I had a fairly neutral view in a weird way about, about it. Um, And I think just being surrounded also by the political, you know, they're very politically aware, but it's like Belgium and the Netherlands and Holland, you know, they were like this very um, kind of neutral political territory. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that it kept my hysteria level a little bit down, but I definitely was, um, it changed even just our industry was changing a lot because of that. I mean, there were designers wrapped their entire collections um, who didn't show at all, who changed everything and basically the 11th hour because it, you know, all of a sudden it felt inappropriate to be kind of celebratory yep. or positive. Like things, the mood just turned very somber very quickly. So interestingly, I was working with the Belgian designers and their, their style is a little bit on the somber kind of serious side anyway. But I was also working with a, a Brazilian designer at the time who was kind of part of this group that I was um, working for. And his collection was very Brazilian, just like beautiful, bright colors and embroidery and chiffon. And, um, it was interesting because, uh, the day before his show in Paris, I was like working, you know, on alterations and stuff from fittings and Isabella Blow had come through. Um, she was obviously alive at the time and she Mm -hmm. was an editor and she was making the rounds at all the showrooms and she came in like this whirlwind for, I don't know, eight minutes or something. And yeah. <laughs> looked at everything when her, and was wearing her crazy hat and like totally dressed to the nines. And she loved the collection. And she said, this is what the world needs right now. You know, positivity and um, a little romance. And, you know, she was really kind of congratulatory of, the, of his collection. But really when it showed, it was just like, completely inappropriate (laughs) (laughs) in the world and that might have been his last show I I mean it really changed things
0: yeah I mean Uh, I even remember being I was a junior in college when that happened mm -hmm. and you know thinking I was really impacted by the fact that a bunch of the people on the plane from Boston were buyers for TJX Oh, wow. That we're going to LA for to see a bunch of accounts and to see a bunch of brands. And yeah. I, I remember thinking like, oh, man, like, I think, you know, having similar dreams as you of like, it'd be so magical to travel the world and work abroad and, you know, spend your days like making and shopping for clothes and d- being in that whole world. And I remember having a moment of, is it too scary to do those things now? Mm. Where I mm-hmm. like prior to that I wouldn't have thought about it, but then I was like, oh man and and honestly, like that fear of like how much travel we have to do in this industry like mm-hmm. it stuck with me for you know the whole time like I mean it's still with me, but it, it was when I was at yeah. Puma and traveling every week to a different country for a, a phase, it was really present yeah. of like I am on an airplane so much and yeah it would would, would come back to me once in a while of like the risk versus reward potential for, I mean, honestly, any industry that's there. but perspective, right? Yeah. Like what, is it worth it? (laughs) At the end of
1: the day, we're talking about cotton. Right. right? Like what do I need to put on the line for that? But Mm -hmm. uh, but then the dust settles, right? And you, it's, I guess for me it'd be one thing if I if I didn't feel passionately or fueled by my line of work um, and I wasn't excited about it. And I love travel, yeah, in general. And I guess that was that was something interesting. I mean, I ended up I ended up going home soon after that, and I do feel like I came back to just a completely different country. Yeah, um, and I don't know if that change was as stark for people who were here. Here when it happened and just sort of like lived through the the quick succession of um, changes. But you know, I remember coming home and just right away in the airport there were American flags everywhere, mm-hmm. and everyone had one a bumper sticker on their car of the American flag. And I just like that was never a thing before leaving. I don't remember ever seeing that. Um, so this sort of nationalism and like prep pride and it is obviously what what the country needed at the time but it was just really interesting the kind of before and after i mm-hmm. guess of, of coming back, back and um but yeah i mean i had some girlfriends who had they had come to see me when i was in europe and they were stopping in new york on their way back they were staying just outside the city on the morning of 911 they were getting ready they had um these were design school friends of mine mm-hmm. they had their portfolios in tow and they were getting all dressed up and they were going to just go hit like door to door style spread their resume and their portfolios around and see if they could get some jobs lined up just like entry level fashion jobs and um i remember trying to get a hold of them first cuz i knew that they were in new york and uh so obviously They didn't go out on the train that morning, and Mm -hmm. they didn't go. And you know, basically, people were getting like no one was hiring after that happened. Too, the whole industry just sort of like froze because no one was sure what was going on. In general, was really unstable for a while, Um, so it was kind of a scary time. I I do feel like I had all this momentum, and I felt so proud in what I was doing, and I put myself like way out of my comfort zone, but I knew it was special and I knew it was important. And then to come back to the U S and kind of co- going back to Portland to Beaverton, I was like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> now? You know, I, um, did feel a little lost in that. Um, but I got a job at Janssen swimwear, which was a hundred year old, um, heritage brand. Yeah. Based in Portland. Uh they had just been acquired by Perry Ellis and um were really going through a transition of kind of being a commodity brand to wanting to resurrect it to be this, you know, glamorous swimmer brand that it had been in its past. And um so that was really cool. I got hired as an assistant designer um, put on that project, the diving girl collection, the designer I, I worked with was, um, you know, our job was basically to like dig through these amazing archives from the thirties and forties and fifties and, um, pull together collections of kind of like what the most modern glamorous woman mm-hmm. would want today. And, um, really helped, you know, worked, worked really closely. I, I guess for, a, a fairly conservative long-standing brand, I got to work on the most kind of fun, um, image driving collection for the brand and working really closely with marketing to, um, pull together kits to send to, um, the highest tier retailers and things like that, just to kind of get Jansen back on the radar. Um, and, you know, I think that that I got put on that project and on that team because of my experience abroad. Mm -hmm. So I was able to really figure out how to work within the confines of what the Portland market had to offer, which wasn't really fashion at the time. Um, But I guess just stand out against other people applying for those jobs um, with that experience and having traveled and all of that.
0: Yeah. How, How did you go from there to Boston? Um, well, so first I had, um,
1: a pretty major life, uh, change when I was at Janssen. Um, my older sister had, um, had a son that, uh, she wasn't able to care for. And so I started, um, you know, obviously with a lot of support from friends and family and, lots and lots of research and conversations kind of figured out how to become, um, his, his guardian. And, um, it took some time, but oh gosh, what year was this? 2003. He was born. So 2004, I was 23. Um, I was finally granted legal, um, guardianship of, of my, my now adopted son, Mikhail. Mm -hmm. Um, who's
0: awesome
1: oh my god he's gonna be 16 next month um but what I in that process I was like okay I'm making $18,000 a year I work until 10 p.m every night like there's no growth um right opportunity at this company it was you know the way it was set up was like lead designers that were very senior and had been there forever and then they had assistants and there was just no like stepping stones, you know, to get, mm-hmm. um, to climb that ladder. So, um, I kind of knew that wasn't going to work. Um, it was very strange for the first time I was like looking at the classifieds for just jobs, like just any job that would pay me more money. And I was realizing really quickly that I was going to just be a, like, I could have been a miserable person. Um, yeah. Um, and like, that wasn't going to work. And so I, um, heard that Nike was posting a new position for a designer and, um, I, I didn't think I wanted that job until I kind of started going for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, it was more out of necessity. I knew I needed, I knew I needed a better job with better pay and better benefits and I had someone else to take care of more than just myself and so um, applying for it was a task I um, you know did like the automatic automatic um, online process got the auto rejection within seconds like yeah <laughs> thank you but thank you and I was like what did I answer wrong like I must have hit something and someone told me you know you have to lie you just have to say <laughs> you know like there was a bachelor's degree um, requirement actually. And so I honestly answered no. And they, you know, they get thousands and thousands of applications for every design job that gets posted apparently. So um, they need to weed them out somehow. Right. Um, So I went back in and I reapplied and I said, yes. I'm like, I can explain that one later in person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not trying to like be a liar. I just, um, and I didn't hear anything. And I ended up just getting my resume into every person who I knew, who knew someone Mm -hmm. at ID. And I said, please, can you get this to the hiring director? And it wasn't until I think my resume, she told me later, my resume showed up on her desk three or four times. And she finally called the recruiter and said, all right, I don't know who this girl is, but can you just get her in here for a <laughs> <laughs> minute? Um, and the recruiter was the scariest woman, but I'm now, um I've kept in touch with her all these years, but at the time being 23, she just terrified me. Um, she was from New York and she just had that very like fast down and dirty, like tell it how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, demeanor and mentality. And she just ripped me a new one when I sent her my portfolio without my resume inside. And you know, <laughs> But really she's just grooming me for what was going to be a very um, challenging interview process. But um, yeah, the interview went amazingly. I just really hit it off with the director and the other designer and the, the cross-functional team. Um, and yeah, like overnight, you know, doubled my salary and had really great benefits and um, kind of got dropped into the, to the deep end. Um, but on a really amazing team was super supportive. It was all women. My director was a woman. Her boss was a woman. The VP of apparel was a woman. Um, my senior designer was a woman. I just, I was like surrounded by these really strong, supportive, ambitious, but not catty um, women. And I felt really safe and protected there. And I felt like I got my master's in business by working with all these really talented people. How amazing. Yeah. And so that was around the same time that I met Mark McGarry. Um, And we ended up in Boston because he, I mean, I worked at Nike for two years, I think. And then he got a job offer with Puma. Mm Mm-hmm. And moved cross country and we did the long distance thing as long as we could. And then, um, I got a call from a recruiter. Another, just one of those serendipitous things. Like I wasn't ready to leave Nike because I loved my job and I was learning and growing a lot, but, um, it was definitely getting to the point in our relationship where we were going to just have to make a call one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, had been avoiding that kind of hard conversation for I don't know it was like eight or nine months, and finally we just said, "Look, if the right opportunity comes along, let's just pursue it, and we'll see what happens." I got a phone call the next day from a recruiter. You <laughs> might be looking for a job in Boston. I was like, "What the hell, man!" Like, <laughs> the universe was listening. Yeah. Um, and so at the time Reebok had just been acquired by Adidas. Um, a bunch of people had left, they were reshifting teams, they were rebuilding categories. Um, and I was gonna be in Boston just for like a long weekend to visit with Mark. And, uh, they said, why don't you come in just for, just for a chat. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have my portfolio. I brought a sketchbook and... It was like so last minute, but we just, again, just like really hit it off. And uh, they called me back later that day and offered me the job. So that happened really fast. (laughs) I packed up little Mikhail and um, on his third birthday, we moved to Boston.
0: Amazing. I I love that your story just keeps getting better as well. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things I would love to go back to, because I think it really speaks to who you are as a powerful lady, and then also the relationship that you have with Mark is Mm -hmm. like how you became a mom the first time. And you're, what were you, you were 24? 23. Yeah, Yeah. you're 23, working Mm -hmm. in fashion. You just got off of this, you know, amazing European experience. Mm -hmm. You're just figuring out who you are and what your life's going to be. Like, how did you get to the point where you're like, no, like I'm meant to be... I meant to be his mom when I'm sure there were so many other options that you guys thought of as a family and like knowing what rock stars your parents are as well. Like how, how did it end up being like, no, like that's my path.
1: Yeah. Um, honestly, I think I was definitely not planning on becoming, it wasn't like I was thinking and dreaming about motherhood, you know, at, that stage of my life. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Thankfully had the opportunity to go uh, when Michaela was born. um, Flew to Georgia when I heard that my sister was in labor and was able to, um, with my mom, we went and spent time with him as a baby. And um, I basically held him for, I think three days in this rocking chair in the hospital, in a hospital room. And um, just, felt very strangely maternal for him or just, I don't, I don't know what it was. I, you know, we knew he wasn't going to be going home with, um, with my sister um, or a biological parent and he was going to be in foster care. And there was like nothing we could do about the legal situation of it. But um, we, uh, I don't know. It, it there was a long, you know, kind of ride, uh, in terms of, of who who was going to care for him and, and when, um, but when it was determined that he was going to be basically, um, available for adoption and, and they contacted us as the family, obviously I was, mm-hmm. was like, well, no, like he has to be with us. Like he has to be with family, of course. Yep. Um, yeah. And my mom had just been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, and she was battling that and going through treatment and everything. I mean, she just, she was, she's a grandma. She wasn't trying to be the mother of a, 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 a she wasn't in the position really. But we decided that as a team, we could do it. Um, Cause I also was like, I don't make any money and I don't know anything about children. And it was really scary, but I just knew I, I knew it would, I knew. We I knew I could do good enough, you know what I mean? Yep. Um and and yeah, so when he we finally got the green light, I mean it's crazy how slowly things move um in the system. But um he was 17 months old and I got finally noticed that he was um ready to come to Oregon and and live with me. And I took You know, I had to get certified as a foster parent. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to do it with my mom because legally I couldn't, legally I was too young to be certified as a foster parent and they, as like a single woman, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but with my mom and I, we basically, um, it was, it was, I don't know, it was fun. We were going to these like fostering, one hundred and one kind of courses and how to have background checks and all of that stuff, you know, but we, um, we just knew that together we could do it. I broke up with my just dumb boyfriend that I was living with at the time. Um, I'm
0: ditching you for a two-year-old. Bye.
1: Yeah. I was like, so this is happening and you are not going to be a part of it. And like, what? And I was like, yeah, you're not the one. And I just, i've got to like get i don't know i just was really excited about um the job i don't know like being i had the energy for it too man i was just like mm-hmm. young and um fearless in a way so no i mean we, we just did it i don't know i don't know i just remember saying having this conversation with my family like people do so much more with so much less what, yeah. what is the excuse not to, um, with, with all the scary, like the unknowns, just mm-hmm. the unknowns, it's just like, this just feels like the right thing to do and it's going to be okay. And, um, and it was, I mean, he's just this angel child, so special, so sweet, so easy, um, and fun. he just, yeah, we just kind of have like our own little, love affair but we credit Mikhail for bringing Mark and I together because Mark and I knew each other knew of each other I had never spoken a word to each other until the night before um before Mikhail was coming to Oregon (laughs) we were I was like out with friends just kind of like a final I don't know like Fun night out and just, your motherhood bachelor party. Yeah, basically. Um and yeah, we just kind of like for the first time ever found ourselves in close proximity and had this talk and kind of I don't know, had this really strange moment of awkward eye contact. <laughs> um, where you're kind of like, wait, was he looking at me? Like is she looking at me like that? <laughs> Um, but yeah, the next morning I got on a plane, I went to Georgia. I spent um, a few days with Mikhail and the foster family to really understand, you know, just get, get my instructions, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. How do I do this? And then we came back together and, um, when I returned to work like a week or two later, I had an email in my inbox from Mark McGarry and he just was like, I heard what you have going on, and I think that's really cool. And you might need a friend, so let me know if I can ever like help you out or give you a break or whatever. Um, Talk about the smoothest pickup line ever! I know, right? And I was just so over it. Like, I just pictured myself being—I don't know—I just had this vision. I was going to be like super mom, single mom in it, like not no no compromises. You know, going to raise this like little renaissance man (laughs) um and uh but yeah mark kind of started courting me bizarrely like what 26 year old dude wants to be a part of that but what i learned really quickly about mark is that he really values family and Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know it's sweet He, he, he said that he's like i told someone either she's a saint or she's a psycho, but we'll find out. You know, <laughs> Is like, there something really wrong with her or, um, or she's just awesome or whatever. That's amazing. I'm not to my own heart at all, That you kind of have that awareness. Like,
0: <laughs> well, so. what I think, I mean, I think too, to give you credit for, you know, being brave to do that, but just what you've done with Mikhail, like I went before I'd ever, Uh, met him i heard all these stories from the guys at puma of like their moment with mikhail like when they would go over for dinner and they'd be like no he's the smartest human i've ever met like he's way smarter than we are and like they all at their desk would have little things that he had made for them like i remember our friend ct telling the story about going over to dinner and mikhail presenting everybody with these rocks
1: And that each one
0: had a meaning behind it and it was like perfect for that person. And they're like, we don't know what he is, but he, he knows things that we don't know. (laughs) Yes,
1: (laughs) He's like that since he was born he just has this like really cool energy, you know, just like, he's got that wisdom. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's very intuitive. And when he was little, yeah,
0: he was just so thoughtful and, um, deep, you <laughs> know, he, he occurred to me as a like old man hippie that was reborn into a child based on how people had described him. Like, I've seen things, right? Like, yeah. he's been to Woodstock, he just doesn't remember right now. <laughs> yes, yeah,
1: and he still is. He's just like, he's almost as tall as Mark now, like, they wear the same clothes. That's crazy, big, deep, booming voice. Um, and you know he'll still like blow a kiss into the phone every time we talk on the phone, even if he's mad at me. He Kay. goes,
0: Bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Good job, mom.
1: <laughs> I know, and I'm like, I love that
0: you still do that because I was just being so mean to you. <laughs> I'm like,
1: I'm so strict or whatever, you know. And, um,
0: but yeah, he's a cool kid. Well, and I think I think a great segue is that you are now a mom of two. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, while being a mother of two, you made the decision to leave a a corporate job Mm -hmm. that had great daycare and (laughs) great benefits to go and start your own consulting, you know, creative firm. How did you and Mark get to a place where that made any sense with how busy you guys were both working for huge international, you know, sportswear companies with two kids, with a mortgage, like you name it, and you guys were dealing with it. So what was that conversation like? And was there a lot of alcohol involved to be like, yes, let's do this?
1: (laughs) Um, I think it was a little bit happening in baby steps, um, which helped. But then there were some catalysts, of course, along the way that just – sometimes you just have to like leap, right, and you Mm -hmm. figure out how to fly while you're falling. we, I was at Reebok and we knew we wanted to actually, Mikhail was genuinely putting the pressure on for me to have a baby. <laughs> really wanted to have a sister, um, but a sibling and, um, and you know, it's kind of like, all right, there's, it's never it feels like the right time because everything's always crazy and busy and you could always be making more money or you could always have more in your savings account or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, It felt like the right time for us. And I was really struggling at Reebok with the lack of my work-life balance. Um, Mark and I were both tasked with traveling a lot for work. Uh, We had really great support with, um, in terms of like backup um, nanny and babysitter type thing for Mikhail, But it really felt like we were just two ships passing in the night sometimes and just like passing the baton off. Um, But single parenting for like week or two, two week stretches um, back and forth. And it was sort of taking its toll. So I just, I knew that if I was going to have, if we were going to have a, if we're going to grow our family, then I needed a different work environment. Um, I started interviewing and got a job. This is another one of those things that happened. A recruiter called me. (laughs) Um, And I was like, like on my, cell phone at my desk at Reebok she's like hey um New Balance is growing their apparel team and someone said that you might be interested in uh, like looking around or picking your head up or something like what is going on I just had this conversation you know this week or something so after asking around I had heard that New Balance for um that work-life balance and you know their family owned and independently run and, um, that the vibe was just a bit different there. And I thought, okay, this might be a good opportunity to both be a part of a new category that's growing as well as, um, you know, have a a better balance and eliminate my commute and all of those things. So, um, interviewed for the job, got the job and gave my notice at Reebok. And then they told me that they were going to enforce my non-compete for six months. We, I was like, okay. Every, we all knew that that might happen. That for people who don't know, right? Your your non-compete basically is that you cannot work for a competitor for a given amount of time. But <laughs> a week later, I took a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant, which um, <laughs> was not the plan. We thought we were going to have a baby, like you know, after I started a new job and got settled and stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is getting interesting. So, um, that six month period of me being out and my belly just growing and my whole lifestyle completely changing, like Mm -hmm. Mark's Mark was working and the capacity he was working, but for the first time ever, I was available more with Mikhail. Like I was taking him to school every day and picking him up from school. He wasn't in an after-school program for the first time. I was like volunteering in his classroom on art projects and reading with kids. And, um, I was cooking food for the first time, (laughs) like looking up recipes and making stuff. And I was totally in nesting mode and working on house projects. I was like, I could get used to this. Um, and after doing my research on like what the daycare situation was going to be for an infant and how expensive it was in Boston, I just, I don't know. It was like the more time I spent not working, the more I could see myself working differently. Um, you know, my mom was a working mother. She was the breadwinner in our family. Um, I never, ever pictured myself as not being that. Um, but again, I think it's just when you have, when you create that space, um, for yourself and you have that time, it's like the, the, the windows just kind of open up, you know, like you can see an alternative way of doing things like, Oh, I don't have to grind so hard every single day and be frantic and spend two hours at home with my family, um, in a given day. So, so yeah, it was kind of a baby step. And then, um, when my non-compete ended, I was eight and a half months pregnant and I started going into work new in balance. <laughs> Uh, Your boss like, is like, what did we do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had been transparent with them along the way. Like as soon as we knew you know, the three month mark that it's like a healthy pregnancy, I told them, but I said, don't worry about it. Like I'm coming to work for you. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem. Um, but unfortunately it was like, I just, I kind of got in there and I started consulting with them, like freelancing basically. Cause I, um wasn't going to have a maternity leave based on the timing. So I don't know. It just, it, I realized that um, I I have one of those few types of jobs that I could actually just be busy as a freelancer, um, a freelance designer. And why not give it a try? Like we had just really gotten a taste of what a less chaotic life could be like. So Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up telling, um, the woman who hired me that I wasn't going to be able to accept the job. And I was so sorry that they waited for six months and, um, the, she just like, she totally got it. She yeah. said, I'm so happy you now We can just be friends and I don't have to be your boss. And <laughs> um, I'm actually gonna, we're going out to go. She lives out in, um, in Encinitas now, so we're going to go visit them next, uh, next month, but we've stayed in really good touch She's become a mentor for me as far as, you know, career growth and working moms goes, she was really supportive and it made me realize that, um, that I I could do this. And she actually hired me to freelance for them for a while. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, Tom at Puma heard that I, that, Mark's wife, a freelance designer, and she's available. So he called me in. And I just I started getting these little projects here and there. And it's like, before I knew it, I was making as much money or more money than I had been making as a full time salaried employee and without all the strings attached. And, you know, basically just doing it between nap times and midnight feedings. But, um, just kind of got the taste like we, we could do this and figure this out. Um, the freelance business just grew. I mean, it just grew to the point where I couldn't do everything my, on my own. And I started tapping friends of mine who, who had also left the corporate world and were freelancing. And I was, I was having Mark meet over coffee or lunch with clients to talk to them about their brand strategy, because, you know, you can only do so much with design of the brand. Um, strategy and marketing concepts and stuff aren't aren't there. It's not going to be successful. So when he started doing that, I think we realized like there's a need here and Mm -hmm. there's all these new brands launching um, many of them from people like our former colleagues who are kind of hitting their ceiling at these corporate companies and realizing they could do something better or different. And um. We just ended up, well, I'll say in the beginning, I just, I ended up becoming this kind of go-to resource for that, um, for the creative side. And then I, I don't know, we just, Mark had been at Puma for eight years and was kind of getting a little itchy there as well. And I think for him to stay there and keep growing in his career, we were going to have to relocate to another country like Germany or the UK. And we didn't want to bounce around anymore. We really wanted to get rooted. So it was scary, but we did it. We just <laughs> knew, you know, but but I had built up a business that um, could have sustained us living very humbly, but could have sustained us. So it was a little less scary. And you'd always been really smart about saving and mm-hmm. um, you know having that nest that little nest egg for that cushion, I should say. Yeah, your um, your emergency so yeah, fund, yeah, mortgage, two kids. <laughs> um and then suddenly like no benefits and um you know doing it ourselves was scary but doable and I think the more you have to do it the more you will do it so we just made the leap you know
0: No, I think it's been so interesting throughout our careers in the industry as well to look at how much it's changed And both from like what brands exist and which ones don't, which retail stores do and which ones don't. And then seeing how many people have never felt like they've been able to be fully creatively expressed in these Mm -hmm. very creative jobs. So to me, it's been fascinating seeing our, our peers and colleagues start companies, whether they were in the industry or not. And like, I really like thankful to the, strong corporate places we came from, like feeling empowered that mm-hmm. we knew enough of how to run a business that we could do it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think that at the bigger companies, you, you learn so much, but you also see where there's so much, um, there's just too many layers. Mm-hmm. And so if you can kind of take all that industry knowledge and know how, and you, you know all the parts that need to be, to be there to be successful, but you can just trim out all the fat and you can move really quickly and you don't need, I mean, the biggest hurdles at these big companies is internally convincing people that it's the right thing to do, Mm -hmm. like the right design or the right um, consumer, the right concept. So you spend so much time and money and resources just convincing your internal colleagues. Um, And I think that at the end of the day, it's like most of those conversations don't matter that much. You, know? like you, just, <laughs> yes. need to, you just need to, uh, I don't know, put put good work out there and like do it quickly, and then listen mm-hmm. and what's resonating, and then evolve really quickly. And um, so it's exciting, and I I've loved being part of these startups. You you learn a whole new skill set as well. I mean, I've learned a lot from. Some of my clients who started their companies fresh out of college and on the flip side were just so naive and inexperienced that it served them well as also, you know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't know what they didn't know. And um sometimes the larger the people coming from the larger brands with, you know, 20, 30 years of experience, they're too cautious. Mm-hmm. Um And funny enough, they'll slip into their corporate ways just with no reason other than that's what they know,
0: know, you know, I I mean, Um, I feel like I'm caught right in the middle of those two places myself right now, because having like my MBA is in entrepreneurship and I've done things before I was ever in the corporate world, but having gone through it and to a point of like leading groups through it. Like every day I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't know that. Okay, we're going to pretend we don't know that right now and just do the lemonade stand version. It'll be fine.
1: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Because it usually, it usually is fine, you know, and I think that the most important thing and the coolest thing is working with these smaller brands and um, and also just this direct-to-consumer kind of channel, um, just having the direct dialogue with your customers, the people buying your product, Um, the people liking your Instagram posts or your advertising, Mm -hmm. you, you you just, you get to actually speak to them very directly if you want to,
0: um, and learn from that. And it's, it's really cool. Well, I think it's so cool for them as well, because they actually become part of the company in a way. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And if you, if you have that line of communication and it's honest and it's pure, then people will forgive your, um, short coming so when it comes to like, like or like how you the box that you shipped your product in I mean they're just they they do they feel part
0: of the growth and part of the story so mm-hmm. it's cool amazing so currently you're in the process of putting McGarry and Sons the uh, design firm mm-hmm. that you have on pause yeah. because you're going to be joining Mark full-time Yes. At York. And it's maybe... It really happened as of January 1st, yeah. Amazing. So let's tell the audience about York and what it's going to look like with you guys now working together.
1: Yeah. So uh, York Athletics Manufacturing is a footwear brand that we started with um, our co-founders, the York Brothers, um, three years ago. And... We make a very versatile performance sneaker that works amazingly in the gym and as, as well as just looking, um, great on the street. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about being a brand that we sell shoes, but we really are inspired by just putting out great content that's going to connect people, inspire people. Um, really embracing the importance of mental and physical well-being in the world. And, um, you know, we know shoes, so we can make a great sneaker that kind of is a vehicle to, to promote that message. Um, so that's what we're doing. And, and yeah, I mean, we, we worked with the York brothers as a consulting group three, four years ago and launched the brand. And then they, they asked Mark to join them as a co-founder and the CEO uh, so he stopped consulting with the brand and uh, with McGarry and Sons. And so I've been running it the last handful of years by myself with my team um, while kind of moonlighting as the creative director for York, but never fully being uh, available for them. And so we just sort of had this epiphany this year. Like, I love working with all of our clients and all the projects we've done. But at the end of the day, I'm so passionate about York and the potential for York. And I'm really excited to kind of remove myself from a lot of the administrative side of running a business that I was mm-hmm. um, really caught up in and just like pouring myself back into being creative and, 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 you know, my responsibility for the brand is really like how we show up in the world. It's on me. I need to make it super tight and cohesive, um, really clear what our message is. And, you know, every, every touch point that we have, people should totally get it. Like, ah, these guys make a great sneaker and they're here for my mental and physical well being.
0: Like, cool. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah it's an amazing message and i i really mm-hmm. love to see what you are so far about embracing you know different athletes than what you would see at at the big guys right like mm-hmm. I, it's always had um, a rebellious edgy approach to it and people who are you know like people who are are taking part in athletics and fitness for themselves over anything else yeah yeah i
1: mean there's a lot of things we've done symbolically that we hope help people understand what, what we're all about. So like the shoe is very, very minimally branded. For example, we always after working for all the big guys and having to place a giant swoosh or three stripes or vector or you You name it, whatever, right? Like, um, so the branding would dictate what the product was And we just wanted to make a great product that was just seamlessly um, could slip into someone's life and wasn't a billboard. Um, So product ethos-wise, it's always been about minimalism and functionality and um, continually perfecting the details. We really just have one model that we continually evolve. Every time it goes into production, I literally look at it with our sourcing team, like what else can we take away? What Mm -hmm. else can we strip down? Well, how else can we make this, um, like what, what doesn't need to be there and kind of always evolving that, which is a fun challenge. And then, um, and then yeah, with, with the branding with, with really the brand experience, I think we all kind of grew up in alternative culture and, you know, Mark was a skateboarder and, and snowboarder and surfer and, um, related much less to traditional sports. And um, I think for myself growing up passionately interested in fashion and design and then kind of going to sports work brands where y- you couldn't fully explore that, um, y- you know, that sort of design sensibility. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. really excited to, the brand is, is a little bit more for people on the, the fringe, you know, we kind of talk about like creating a community of lone wolves in a way. Yep. Um, People have really just confidently carved out a path in their for their, for themselves Um, and swim against the current and all of that. I mean, we just really want to embrace it and let people know that um, there's a place for great content and great products.
0: Well, and I think it also speaks to who you guys are individually and as a couple as well, right? Like, yeah. it's it's a lot of part of what inspires me about you guys, besides the amazing relationship that you have together and as a family, but that you you do keep choosing what makes sense for your life versus mm-hmm. what would make sense if the rest of the world <laughs> was telling you what path to take, right? So. I, just, I think like being able to embrace that spirit and give a little bit to everybody else is must be really empowering as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm all about turning this into my dream job, you know? It's like <laughs> on me to do it and it's for Mark as well and I think for our whole team. It's like how can we make this the best um it's in our control, it's in our hands and it's definitely comes with its challenges. I mean, you have financial goals and targets that you're very aware of when you're a small company, you just, you see every dollar and cent that goes Mm -hmm. in and out. Um, And so just being mindful and responsible in that regard, but also just like having fun with it and challenging the way things are. And and why are they that way? I mean, one of my favorite things about the brand is being a unisex brand, like a unisex company. We don't talk differently about men and women. Uh, we don't make products differently for men and women. We're actually huge. Well, maybe by the time this is airing (laughs)
0: finalized,
1: but we're, you know, revamping the website so that that's really clear, um, that there's, it's just ridiculous to make some of those definitions anymore. So yeah, we're, we're really embracing that. Um, we are launching a collaboration with a really inspiring, amazing person who, um, that campaign will be out in April. Amazing. Listeners in particular will be really inspired by, by it. Um, you know, just people who are fighters, people aren't afraid to, you know, go toe to toe against their own demons or, or the adversities in their life, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's really like the York mindset and the the people who we look to um, be the megaphone
0: for that um, this coming year. It, it, it's going to be really exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. So sp- speaking of inspiring others, when, you know, mm-hmm. who are the people in your life that have been, you know, the critical people for inspiring you to yeah. to make for all the choices that you've made? Um
1: I mean my family, so much of it comes back to my family. My my parents in particular have just always been so supportive um of me and encouraging me to really listen to my own just my heart. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I think definitely Mikhail becoming a, a mother at a young age and just having that responsibility um, to make, I don't know, wise decisions for our family, but also to show him that following your passions and the things that fuel you and make you feel good is, is super important. I, you know, I don't want my kids to see that um, it, the you should just settle for anything because the world tells you, you need a certain amount on your paycheck or mm-hmm. um, a certain house or you know, <laughs> whatever, like, um, that's been super inspiring. And then, you know, even coming back to my parents, my mom is dealing now with her fifth, um, diagnosis of breast cancer. And, um, she is just a spitfire. Like every time I talk to her, she's so positive and she'll always hold on to that the one percent of hope yeah (laughs) in a sentence you know like she does not listen to the statistics that um or even the diagnosis really being handed to her she'll just hold on to um the best possible what ifs and that real she believes in the power of positivity and prayer and um I've really just been embracing that The older I get, especially. Um, Yeah. And then, I mean, I've just been so fortunate. I think this past year, one of the coolest things I had the opportunity to do, I was invited to be on a panel that
0: Bodega put on. um, And and Bodega, for people who don't know, is the sneaker boutique in Boston. That's like one Mm -hmm. of the top places in the whole world to uh, fine styles, fine sneakers. Like it's always the top at the top of the sneaker culture world. Right.
1: I mean, they've just, they, they've done such a good job creating their own little thing and so unassuming being from Boston, but they've actually just opened up a huge store in downtown LA that's doing really well. Mm -hmm. Um, well but they put on this event called her by bodega and really it was the brainchild of two young women who work for the company and just felt like there are some really amazing kick-ass women that don't really get the platform because it is a very male dominated kind of uh industry in terms of the owners of the brands um the top people in marketing, you know, and all of that. And I think there are a lot of um, equally inspiring and accomplished women that they wanted to really start uh, to put the spotlight on. So Mm -hmm. they did this panel talk. It was in the store one night, just completely packed, standing room only, um, men and women, all ages, all backgrounds. It was just like the most beautiful room in Boston that I've ever been in, in terms of the people. And um, we got to share our stories. There was a lot of, you know, Q&A with the audience. And um, coming from, coming out of that, he's and and Sarah brought together this like really cool group of women. And we get dinner together now and we get drinks and we're all in this group text and sending each other just awesome, positive messages throughout the day. And it it just reminded me to like, pick my head up. I love my family. I love my work, but I need to be in in the community more. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of them asked me to be her mentor. And I just was like, okay, I'm there. I'm at that stage in my life. (laughs) (laughs) That's an amazing thing. Um, My old director from, from, Nike, um, Karen Francisco, she's one of the most inspiring women that I've ever worked for. She's the best boss I ever had. And, um, you know, she's still a mentor of mine. She's a person that I call every couple of years when I'm at some kind of crossroads or trajectory with my career, like, what do I, am I making the right decision? So I think, um, I'm excited to make myself available for for that next phase as well, and inspire people um, to carve out their their path, you know, and and make bold moves and those leaps of faith.
0: Yeah. No, I mean that's that's a hundred percent why I'm taking this path with the powerful ladies as well because I think just like the group that you, you met through Bodega, there's something so powerful in having. A group that is really just there for like being your best and you know there is so much power in moving from the like the participant to the coach phase of mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. and you know I it's j- such an honor right for you to be asked to be on the panel and then to be asked to be a mentor and then realize like how much you have to give like mm-hmm. You're you're still so young and you've done so much with your life across like many of the different areas that people have goals in their life. And like I'm so excited for you and Mark to be a, a team again on this project and putting all your energy together in one place because already mm-hmm. what's happening at York is amazing. And I know like all of our other friends that have been helping you guys do it that are just also rock stars. And yeah, yeah. To, to me, it's just such a magical place for you guys to be as individuals and as a, as a family going forward.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I can't wait to see what powerful ladies turns into. Cause it's already had an, with, you know, with your, I don't even know where you find the time, <laughs> like, how crazy busy and like gnarly your jobs have been. And you're like, I'm going to start this thing. Like, what well, okay, if Kara has time to do this, like I have zero excuses, so. <laughs> um, but, you know, even just like the incentive to host those, you know, days of giving once a year. Um, and we would just pull together, you know, groups of women at the studio and, um, have really great conversations around career and, um, just, family and balance and all those things and mm-hmm. then, you know, everyone contributing towards the same cause. It was just it's like such a good excuse to get people together. But I'm excited to see this grow and and reach beyond,
0: you know, your immediate network. Thank you. Mm-hmm. What one of the things that Jordan and I were talking about is how, you know, like you What you've always inspired me about is like also being like just really strong in your positioning about like speaking up for what's right. Mm-hmm. I know that um, you and um, a group of women had gone to the Boston March in 2016 for the Women's March, mm-hmm. the new ones coming up. So I'm curious if you're if you're going to anything on the 19th and then additionally, as a powerful ladies raising two sons, like how do you raise them differently or how do you include them in this stuff? To you know, kind of pay it forward to that next generation as well. Yeah, I mean, God, I feel such a huge responsibility raising boys
1: um, right now, and I have to say, I feel like they're just miles ahead of this generation. I I don't worry about <laughs> it. Yeah. They're like so aware and. Maybe also just the thing I love about raising them in Boston is Boston is a great city in terms of the diversity here, the progressive kind of political nature here. Um, they're definitely surrounded by people with a really broad, um, I think understanding of the world and, and even just like their friends at school are just from all over the place, like all over the world, speak so many different languages. Um, And, and yeah, I mean, we, we have very open conversations around things going on in the world politically. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think Mikhail was the first person I saw on the day that the day after the elections, you know, and I'd gone to bed that night, not knowing who was going to be president and then woke up in the morning and was just devastated. And, um, Mikhail walked 30 in the morning for school or whatever. And he came in and he's like, did she win? And I just lost it. I like was shaking my head. No. And gave him this huge hug and I was just sobbing. And he's like, mom, it's going to be okay. You know, like he's, <laughs> They're they're so positive. Um, and like, it's only for four years.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: yeah. So I, I do need to look into what's going on on the 19th in Boston. Um, and you know, we did the, we did the March for our lives Mm -hmm. together as a family as well. Um, last year and that was really impactful and so relative to the boys I mean they just really understood it um and so yeah I mean I just I definitely want to keep keep doing things like that with them as a family I think it's really important I think as a team at work I'm um you know even just being a brand having having a brand that has the ability to stand by certain things and, um, you know, make sure that we're always spreading message ultimately of inclusivity and mm-hmm. acceptance and love and not being controversial for the sake of being controversial by any means, but, but yep. being, being willing to stand up for what's right. Um, awesome it's exciting platform, but
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, um, kind of closing questions we kind of have here are, you know, hopefully simple, but it's, it's also to give people who are listening some places to go and tips. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the first one is if you have a favorite quote that kind of drives how you approach life and you're welcome to get back to me too, if you need to. <laughs> yeah, circle back. to,
1: back to like for the fear of sounding really cliched, um, I'm like such a believer of the golden rule and preach mm-hmm. and that to the boys all the time and just with work and everything. I mean, I'm just, I believe in karma and, and um, you know, what goes around comes around. So putting your best foot forward and treating people with empathy and love and respect on just a really basic human level is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably find like a more beautiful quote
0: but <laughs> whatever you find we can we can put under your picture on the on the okay. website yeah it'll be like a yearbook um and then are there you know podcasts are there blogs are there books that you're reading now that like people just have to start listening to because it's providing so much for you
1: yeah i mean i'm really working on deepening my practice with meditation so i've been poking around different blogs on mindfulness and meditation, um, the 10% happier. I love that one thing. Yeah. Um, And especially if you've been listening to it for a while, right. It's just, they're they're definitely getting like deeper and deeper into kind of the, the quest. I think Um, Oprah's super soul conversations, I think are really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Malcolm Gladwell's uh, revisionist history. Yeah. And then his new one, um, with Rick Rubin, the broken records, are just kind of fun and interesting. I've always been a big fan of this American life. And mm-hmm. I just I love oh yeah, and then like guilty pleasures, of course, there's like cereal and dirty John. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: not good for your brain, but um good escapes, I guess. I think they are uh, good for your brain. Yeah. People talk through have been who've been through harder stuff than I have is really inspiring and like really motivating and just a good context kind of Mm -hmm. check right yeah perspective builder
0: no for sure for sure Mm -hmm. um and then the the final question we uh, are starting to ask is on a daily on an average day Mm -hmm. Where do you feel you are on the scale of human to powerful lady? Assuming powerful lady is the equivalent of like Wonder Woman. So do you feel like you're Mm -hmm. on, where would you put yourself on that scale on on an average day? On an average day? This is like the Pisces in me. I am so,
1: I'm just like a constant roller coaster. I think I (laughs) admit to my own, you know, insecurities. And so I have days where I feel really high. I feel like I do feel like Wonder Woman. Like today I rocked it. I woke up. I did some breathing for 10 minutes. I made it to a yoga class. I actually exercised, you know, days when you feel like you've put in a day before your work day starts is amazing. And then I've got all this patience and my temperament is cool. And you know, I'm Mm -hmm. like, make it home for dinner and I cook and I just like rock it at a photo shoot at work or whatever, you know, like definitely have my days where I feel I'm doing pretty good. Um, and then I definitely have my days where I feel really insecure and like, I'm not good at my job and I'm a terrible mother. And you know, <laughs> what have I done for my husband lately? Um, but that's the beauty in it. Right. I think, yeah, you need, you need the lows to feel the highs and and vice versa. So um, I don't know. I would say I'm just scratching the surface in general on being a super powerful lady, um, but I'm working on it.
0: You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> so then, yeah, yeah you can. of course. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been, you know, this is an example of like when you dream about something and what it can go like, and then it like blows you you're like you blow yourself out of the water and like all I'm doing here is just listening and (laughs) so thank you so much for making this way better bigger more awesome than I could have expected and thank you for inviting me and just it's good to talk about
1: stuff that you haven't talked about in a while too you know awesome well thank you Kara it's an honor for me awesome well
0: thank you so much please give the boys all hugs and I will there'll be plenty of follow-up for all of this and and what's coming next It's amazing how there's always more to learn about someone and this episode with Elizabeth proved that. She was already on our Women Crush Wednesday list and I'm left 10 times more inspired. She proves you can have a family, have a life, do great work and create businesses that allow you not only support your family, but also express your creativity and passions. At Powerful Ladies, that's the game we're playing. So check out the Powerful Ladies website and shop to find tools and inspiration to take your game to the next level. You can show Elizabeth your support by following York Athletics on Instagram at York Athletics MFG and send her a note, tell her what this episode meant to you. Then head over to YorkAthleticsMFG.com and try out a pair of their new amazing speakers They're getting five star ratings with over 389 submitted reviews. Those are just the reviews people are submitting, let alone all the other chatter that's out there. They're amazing products. Don't forget to also check out the surprise collab that will be out by the time this episode is available that Elizabeth mentioned in the podcast. If you'd like to support the work that we're doing here at powerful ladies there's a couple of ways you can do that subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, stitcher google play or anywhere you listen to podcasts leave a review on any of these platforms share the show with all the powerful ladies and gentlemen in your life join our patreon account check out the website thepowerfulladies.com to hear more inspiring stories get practical tools to be your most powerful get 15 percent off your first order in the powerful ladies shop Or donate to the Powerful Ladies One Day of Giving campaign. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. For show notes and to get the links to the books, podcasts, and people we talk about, go to thepowerfulladies.com. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. She's one of the first female audio engineers in the podcasting world, if not the first. And she also happens to be the best. We're very lucky to have her. She's a powerful lady in her own right. In addition to taking over the podcasting world, she's a singer songwriter working on our next album and she's one of my sisters. So it's amazing to be creating this with her and I'm so thankful that she finds time in her crazy busy schedule to make this happen. It's a testament to her belief in what we're creating through Powerful Ladies and I'm honored that she shares my vision. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life Go be awesome and up to something you love.